Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. With Conan Neutral. Protonic Reversal Party people, Radio Valencia listeners everywhere, world, and affiliates of the world, welcome to the one, the only Protonic Reversal. Thank you for, for joining us today. Hell of a show. We're going to be, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, Brenna. We're, we're going to be talking to Ray Washer, oh, one, of, one, yeah. of, one of my favorite drummers probably of all time. Uh, very wow. unique, unique and interesting guy. Lots of uh, great stories, hopefully. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say probably he does have great stories. Uh, he played in a band called Scratch Acid. It was a very mm-hmm. formative band for me with uh, David Yao and David William Sims later uh, became oh. the Jesus Lizard. Yeah, he played in Rape Band with former guest Steve Albini. Which, oh, yes, okay. Uh, a lot, and a lot of people I know I read him. about all this 
you know. Uh, did you, did you see the blurb on Radio Valencia? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I read about all the connections to Jesus Lizard and whatnot. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy, and he's also been the the. Uh, it was a live drummer for Ministry. Oh, for, cool. for years and years, uh, which is I believe is a hired gig sort of situation. But I'm looking forward to hmm. hearing that as well as all the rest of the many things that this very interesting dude has done. Can we get him to drum solo? On the <laughs> just on the, on the phone, with yeah. Spoons, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Washam, could you please just do a, a spoon? You're, so not just a drum solo over the phone, but you want to do it with the spoons now? Well, that's just easier than okay. having a drum set. I'm just trying to make his life easier. I guess it is easier. Spoons, yeah. Yeah, than having a <laughs> certainly less on your knee. Certainly less setup time you know, for the, you know how to play to spoons. Come on. <laughs> I guess I guess I do. I mean, I feel like we all learned that as a kid. Maybe in the like, 1930s. I feel like playing the spoons has been absolutely and completely ruined by that Soundgarden song. Like, I, B- it, what? It, oh, look it up. I want to <laughs> see this. I've never seen this before. You know the you know the one I'm talking about. It's, it's pretty early for that, but the, I just, don't. That, really, you don't you don't know the song "Spoon Man" by Soundgarden because I automatically that song <laughs> runs through my head when are, are you doing I the don't thing think that I do? I do. Okay, I see what you're doing. Okay. And it's just like, oh, see, here he is. He's setting up the spoons. I hear spoons. And this, Clank, and this is like, clanking. I have to say, I don't think this is a bad record, but I think this is an atrocious song. Like, this is like, like it's, it's pretty <laughs> cool, though, what he's doing there with those. It is, but now I'm thinking of, like, you know, exactly. I'm thinking oh, of Chris this, Cornell. Oh, this song. I didn't realize it yeah, was Yeah, the spoons. one called Spoon Man. <laughs> right. That one. That's what I'm saying. Like, I always think of. This song immediately, like if someone even says the word spoons, this starts going in my head. I used to have this CD. Why are we playing Soundgarden? Why are we playing this as the first song? We're not going to play Soundgarden as the first song. I'm I sorry. see. I'm, I told you. I told that. you. I was going to instigate you to God, rant. I was already ranting about <laughs> normal things. I rant I about. I got it. I, I snuck that in there. It's a little Soundgarden for you. Some Spoon Man coming at you. <laughs> yes. Terrible. Oh, God. My powers of influence are still great. Oh, just the worst thing ever. Okay, uh, let's hear something that's awesome. How about that? <laughs> is that okay? Can we do that? I suppose. All right. Then uh, this is uh, this is Owner's Lament by Scratch Acid. And uh, I like this. I like this tone. This is this is one I think that is a good. It's a good opener for for us. Mm-hmm. Not Spoon Man.
have a Spoon Man by Soundgarden. No. That was not Spoon Man. That was not Spoon Man by Soundgarden. I did not hear Spoons. <laughs> I know my Soundgarden. You did. Other than the fact that you didn't hear Spoons, that was the, the only, oh, no, didn't hear Spoons. It's not Spoon Man. Nope. Oh. Well, I just forgot. It's been maybe 15 years since I listened to that. I used to have that record. We just agreed that it's a good record. And we're back to talk. <laughs> back to Soundgarden talk on Protonic Reversal. Uh, that was me. That was all me. I was, just, I was just making a cheap back announce joke here on uh, Protonic Reversal. That was actually Rape Man with steak and black onions. And that is. <laughs> That's a lot of it. I don't know, man. I know. It's, it's a, a hell of a, it's a, hell of a band name. On. There's a lot and of stuff going on. Steak and black onions? Yeah. What is that? Uh, it's a meal. I, sp- I suppose. <laughs> I bet it is. Uh, it's also the. I think that I believe it's a smell, an armpit smell. Uh, I don't know. Let, let's ask. What? An armpit smell? I, I think that's. I, I don't know. Let's, we can ask Gray Washington in like fifteen minutes. Okay. Maybe he can tell us. And before that, we had uh, "Owner's Lament" by Scratch Acid, which, as I mentioned, was one of the a very formative record, uh, formative band. Uh, that's a collection for me. That was one of the first punk rock bands I got into. And what I liked about them is they were a punk rock band that was not, you know, no disc to the Ramones. It wasn't just like four chords and like, you know, like there's a lot going on there, but it still was aggressive and weird. But it kind of made me reevaluate what I guess punk rock could be. Yeah. I get a little annoyed with the simple chords myself. I mean, days I just feel like I've heard it all. It can be done really well. It can be be done really well. But like, I feel like it's all been done really well. And maybe okay. It's should, hard to pull off in something unique. I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, this too much because there are lots of cool bands out there nowadays. You there know, are doing stuff that would be considered punk rock in some ways. <laughs> For those not in the room, uh, DJ Real Time Drop just did in air quotes punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> the they air would, quotes were implied. Air quotes punk rock. I don't. I don't yeah, implied. <laughs> right. I'm just going to repeat what you say. How annoying would that be if I just repeat everything you say? I guess that would be pretty annoying. It, that would be pretty annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, but it, the thing is, it sounds like you're agreeing with me, too. So, like, so you like you probably, that. You could probably get away with that for a while before I noticed. I'd be like, <laughs> Especially oh, you're, if you're, you're doing the thing, aren't you? I know. <laughs> There's a lot of red face rants on this show uh, between song breaks and off song breaks. I, you know, there, there's some things. Some things are not fit for broadcast. Other things are, as we all well know. I have my issues with the Wednesday night late night show and their casual, uh, casual disregard for normal societal etiquette. Perfect, perfectly put. <laughs> Sometimes. Mm-hmm. I also don't yeah. think their show's very good personally, but that's a personal opinion. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> wow, drama. <laughs> We were also speaking about what the hell were we talking? We were talking about something during, during the break that Soundgarden. We were talking about Soundgarden. and Rape Man that, and how that that name must have been hard for them to pull off for some people. Yeah, it's, I, well, I know I know a lot of people that won't listen to them. I'm not going to listen to that. Well, why? Oh, it's called Rape Man. I'm not going to listen to that. Well, they're not like writing songs about raping people. It's a, it's a Japanese cartoon character, a comic book. But Nobody then you but then you that. exactly. But that, that's the problem with a band name that has a nuanced response especially in this day and age probably was bad back then but in this day and age you have like you know a quarter second to like catch people's attention and get the positive reaction of like oh cool i'll check that out mm-hmm. which i've i you know whatever that that band that's went to the blank shake coming up that has you know some 
name that I'm sure means something incredibly awesome, but it's just like a bunch of nonsense. And like, wait, what is that? I don't even care anymore. Like, I'm we're in the <laughs> second sentence, and I don't care anymore. Yeah, I have a friend that wanted to name his band uh, the Daguerre type set. And I was like, don't do really? that. That's the Dude. worst idea. Are you comfortable yeah. with explaining to every person ever, every time you tell them yeah, what I, that is? That's No, that's a terrible idea. That, that's, I mean, that's an awful band name. It's a terrible idea. It's, it's like people who are intelligent and want to be, seem, come off as intelligent or be like you know, nuanced, I guess, in a way that's like alienating. You don't want to alienate people. If they have to ask, because a lot of people are afraid to ask sometimes... Right, because they, they feel like, oh, I don't get it. Yeah, they just want to seem like, oh yeah, I know what that is. What is that? I know. <laughs> what? Do you know what that is? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I had to do that at work recently. It was really awkward, but it was important because <laughs> yeah. people were talking about like we got this new communication app that everyone can like. Oh, I talk hate. To I each hate other. that sentence that you just said. By the way, we got this new communication app. But go I know. Ahead. I know. I know, but it's like we never see each other, so a lot of people were missing information. It's it's actually very helpful. It's just that like the the owner and my boss kept saying like, "Oh yeah, you know that that thread in in Slack." And yeah, we we're talking about it in Slack, and I was like, "What the <laughs> what are you talking about like is that like the, the they, Church of the Subgenius they, thing? What was, what are you talking about?" It's actually really funny, and it's a clever name for a, a thing, but Hey <laughs> man, give me some they snack. They all left and I was like, Annie, what is Slack? <laughs> <laughs> I just pretended like I knew what was going on. And, and see, if this was a commercial, like, well, Brenna, it's actually a new communication app that you can <laughs> hear. I was like, you is know, that- that's my take on it. What's yours? <laughs> I was like, is that an app? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, how do I get it? And she's like, you download it. And my boss came back, and I was like, uh, I totally did not get the memo. And it turns out he had entered uh, my... It, it appears you didn't get the memo about Slack. Uh, see? <laughs> I was not slacking. You were not slacking. But I was slacking. Is but that, is was that slacking. why they called it that? I want to make sure you're not slacking off. Is that why? No, or is no, it just no. like they, they found like... I a, think it's picking up the slack. They're just dim... Okay. There's a, and there's many ways... They're that, completely unaware of the Church of the Subgenius and how that's like a whole abstract <laughs> concept. And every time Probably. I hear the word slack, I now think of the Church of Subgenius and have for the last, you know, whatever, 15 years. I, they're... They're probably dorky programmers and don't. Sorry for all the dorky p- programmers that listen to our show. But <laughs> well, there, there goes all our listenership. <laughs> I like dorks, and you know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> turns out they hadn't sent I, me I have, an invite. I have that somewhere. I have that drop of you saying that you're interested in math rock, but I can't find it right now. Oh well. You isolated that. Wow. I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know why. Why do I have that in there? Why do you? Yeah, you have. Oh, check this out! (laughs) (laughs) I have punches in there. Why are there punches in this soundboard? I don't think it came with a soundboard. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very good question, and I liked it because it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, that's 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 something I need to remember to do more often. That's a good one. Beginning, middle, and an end to a question. Pretty funny. Oh, Uh, you mean having a beginning, middle, and end to your question? Yeah, I probably should have that. Especially because we're about to have a uh, really awesome guest on. So, yeah, I should probably get get on point about that, huh? <laughs> um, I feel like there was something else that we were talking about that I was like, oh, yeah, we got to remember to talk about this on the air. Was that it? I thought it was just Rape Man. Because, you well, know. It's a fine time to talk about Rape Man because we have, uh, we're going to have the drummer from Rape Man on shortly. And I'm, you know, I'm really eager to 
to hear from him, actually. It's a really long song, but there's this new video out that I feel like you may like. I like this band a lot, and they, they're kind of, they're from Maryland. They're called okay. Dope Body. Dope Body? Okay. Mm-hmm. And Tell they just released a video called Repo Man. It's really good. It's really long. It has like a drum solo intro, but it's it's really good. The well, bass line is like... We'll uh, be hearing a little bit later from Dope Body. <laughs> I've got some. I got it kind of planned out for the next uh, for the next bit. So we're gonna we're gonna do that right now. But that said, we could, it's a long show. It's a long show. Two hours seems long of sitting and talking and processing things. That's and what when, we do. And when we come back, we will be processing. See what I just did there? Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Yeah, pulling it all together. Processing. The awesomeness of uh, Mr. Ray Washam, and I'm looking quite forward to that. So let's hear uh, let's hear a few tunes by the man. Uh, have some of his excellent drumming prowess, and come back and uh, see what he's up to. How's that sound? Sounds good. I don't think I have I'm a you the illusion of choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cannibal by Scratch Acid.
All right. That was Sister Sarah from the Helios Creed record. I believe it's called uh, Boxing the Clown. Boxing the Clown. And before that, we had Cannibal by Scratch Acid. And, of course, we play both those songs because they, uh, they both feature the fantastic Mr. Reynolds Washam, who is now on the air with us right now here on Protonic Reversal. Ray, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me, Conan. I appreciate it. So the, I'm just going to get one of the nerdy questions out of the way. What made you start playing drums in the first place? Well, I started when I was really little. Um, uh, actually, I think the thing that started with when I was a little kid, the monkeys. There was a TV show on, and I would watch them. And, uh, and with some of the other neighbor kids, act like we were in a band. And my, my parents bought me a drum set when I was a little boy. And so I had started playing, beating on them, kind of little. And it was something... I knew that's what I, one of the things that I wanted to do when I was very young. Wow. So the, the monkeys, I would never... <laughs> I, I quite, actually quite like the monkeys, but I would not have guessed that to be <laughs> the, the motivating factor. But that, that, in a way, it does make sense. I mean, it's, they had... Like, well, there... Yeah, the reason was because, you know, with television, I, I heard music and I listened to it, but I never... I, they, you very rarely saw anybody especially in a pop or a rock band on TV playing. So the Monkees were the only access to actually watching people play music, although they weren't actually playing. It, you know, it was, they were syncing it, but it looked like they were playing the instruments. I was going, wow, looks awesome, so I want to do that. Right, they actually had instruments, and uh, <laughs> it was acknowledged yeah. that instruments are used to make music and that people can play them, which at the time on television at least, it was probably a rather revolutionary concept, I would imagine. I mean, even when I saw it as a kid, and maybe it's third syndication rerun or something along those lines, I definitely was like, oh, that's cool, they, they're they a band, and they live together, and they play music, neat. Uh, yeah, they're being crazy and funny, and they're making music, and in a band, and yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> and then... But I also love music, too. Right, right. And then, so, of course, you... Uh, found found your way into punk rock, uh, and and playing in punk rock bands, and things of that sort. Uh, it, did you? How did that, did you just decide at that point like I want to be in a band, but like the Monkees are in? Or I mean, how did you how did you get to actually playing with people? Well, um, I I had um, I was in school. I, I played in school and. They had a little band in like elementary school that I played in, and I went on into junior high and was in the symphonic band in junior high, and I started acting out and started kind of getting into trouble and uh, and, this, and played with some friends in high school and stuff, just kind of carried on. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do when I was little, so I just kept doing it, and there was a couple of guys in my school, my next-door neighbor played guitar. He was really good and I had a couple of friends, and we back in those days you rented out uh, um, storage space and garages you know and you set up in there we rented a little garage and we got to practice and you know back then it was you know played Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and uh, Leonard Skinner and so we just sat and played anyway that's how I knew I wanted you know 
playing with high school. Nice. It was really the first band I was in. Okay, and then so who were you? So who were your guys that when you started getting into music? I mean, you mentioned Led Zeppelin, obviously. I think John Bonham is usually cited as a form, formative drum influence for for most people that play the drums because he's very excellent, of course. But who else was kind of like lit your imagination on fire to to go do this and find your own voice for it? Well, uh, I mean, back when I was like a school kid, uh, you know, as from school, sure, but also just as as you've gone on. I mean, I've definitely heard, and the reason why I ask is because I hear a lot of uh, jazz influence in the Euripides Pants stuff. And it kind of seems like you draw influence from a lot of different places. So I'm just kind of curious what what makes that gumbo <laughs> of drumming for you. Well, um, some of the, the one of the very first records I ever bought when I was little boy was um, Jeff Beck Blow by Blow. It just blew me away. Okay. And uh, I, I went up to the store and I bought Jeff Beck Blow by Blow, um, uh, ZZ Top, Trace Ombres. Nice. And uh, and Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick. And I listened to those three rock records. And I think I got a Black Sabbath maybe a year later. But I listened to those records, those three records, religiously. And so I think even today that because I listen to those so much that they still, those, you know, in, in your formative years, those are still influences on what I play and how I want to play. I mean, I don't think I play like those guys, but I hear that when I play, you know, when I'm coming apart. So those three records are definitely a part of it. And then that kind of developed, and um, the guys that I were in a band with, we were big fans of Mahogany Rush. And when everybody was listening to David Bowie and, you know, and, uh, you know, America and some of those other bands, and even with Zeppelin, we were listening to Hendrix and Mahogany Rush and some other kinds of stuff, like a little bit harder. It was just kind of the of rock and roll and classic rock, and I just kind of started getting into prog rock a little bit, and when uh, I graduated from high school, that was all in Dallas. And uh, so when I moved to Austin, it was a completely different music culture, just completely different. And everybody told me that all that music I was listening to was crap. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, they, yeah, it's like, what? You listening to that? You know, I had, still had long hair and, uh, you know, and was still listening to, you know, bands like UK and other just, you know, prog rock stuff. And I said, oh, that's crap. Here, check this out, and they and I, they played like the Ramones for me and some other stuff. And I was like, "Wow, that is super easy. I know I can play that. That is that is nothing like Jethro Tull and right, right. Kendrick. Like the, like the, with the crazy uh, you know technique and uh, and and form over you know say uh, brevity uh, <laughs> and kind of like the the more uh, drum serving the song rather than. The uh, you know maybe the King Crimson approach necessarily, which I I love King Crimson to be clear, but it does, obviously the King. If we had Bill Bruford playing in the Ramones, it'd be a wildly different story. Yeah, and that's what it was. I came from this sort of yeah you know classic rock to kind of prog rock, and then threw all of that in the garbage and started again with like the Ramones and really easy simple punk rock kinds of stuff. Even though I really still didn't, I wasn't a very good drummer at all. I still had a lot to learn about playing with other people. I 
find that incredibly hard to believe, but I, <laughs> I appreciate your uh, modesty nonetheless. So how did, how did it come together with you playing with Scratch Acid? Because as I mentioned earlier on the show for uh, listeners that are, that are just tuning in, I, I mentioned how Scratch Acid for me was a very formative band because when I heard uh, you guys' stuff, it kind of changed my idea of what punk rock could be and kind of opened up like, oh, there's all, you know, you can make really kind of forceful, energetic and engaging music that has elements of these things that attracted me to this style of music, but it doesn't have to be, you know, necessarily just the four chords. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the song structures the first chorus first, and it just very clearly does this and this. There's all kinds of disparate elements to it that, to me, it sounded like, you guys sounded like a bunch of mad scientists to me. And I'm kind of curious as to uh, what, how you all came together and, what, you know, what does that look like? I don't really know that much about how Scratch Acid came to be. Well, um, I, I don't think it's very different from a lot of other people's story. I mean, it was basically uh, David Yao. I was in a band, and David Yao was in a band, and both of those bands were breaking up, and he came up to me one day and said, hey, you want to start a band? And, uh, so we just kind of started hanging out and drinking beer and, you know, just hanging out and going to shows and listening to music. And, uh, and the guy that I was in this other band with, Brett, also we asked him to be in the band. So we were just kind of hanging out. And, you know, that's one of those situations where we were all young, very young, and right. didn't really know anything about making music. Um, so the reason that that, that's my opinion, that Scratch Acid sounds like it does, is because we didn't have any expectations of what it was supposed to sound like or what we wanted it to sound like. It was basically us listening to a bunch of records, um, and getting together and playing. And I mean, at the time, David Yao was the bass player. David Sims played guitar. Oh, wow. And another singer. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We didn't. We really, we, I mean, I have some demo tapes of us. And I mean, it's like, it's really interesting because it's a bunch of people that really have no idea about how to make original music and they're making original music. And so it's going to sound bizarre. Right, exactly. You're always going to get a certain element of just a Freak Factor 9 involved with that. <laughs> but I think you can hear the enthusiasm uh, in what you guys do. It's just, if you're coming at it just from the outside of not being a part of, you know, that band with that secret language and how you came to be there, it, it can definitely, I think it, for some people it's off-putting. For me, I found it immediately engaging, but then... I'm a little different from some people as well. And it, it, the only thing I can, and now as a more, you know, uh, more well-versed in music, there's certainly antecedents to what I, I would say that, you know, if, if I was using shorthand to explain what that band sounded like, I'd be like, oh, you know, it's a certain, there's certain parts that remind me of the birthday party, and there's certain parts that remind me of, like, I, I could do, I could make the touchstones now, but, yeah, at the time, I certainly couldn't. I was like, where, where is, who? What are these scientists doing? Like, what, where, where is this music happening? Like, what does this look like? What is? I don't understand what's happening right now. And I think that, I mean, I think that for me, I definitely mean that as a compliment because it's it's hard to, especially these days, it's hard to surprise people. But that hearing that kind of music that apparently only could come together from all you guys not really having necessarily a plan of action and just <laughs> kind of going forward made a very unique and beautiful thing. And I thank you for that. Well, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I, I think, uh, you know, sometimes personalities work better than others. And, you know, and because we were long on enthusiasm and desire and short on uh, musical ability, I think that's one of the reasons why it, it you know, 
I, I think we wrote some good songs. I mean, it's not, they're not earth-shattering, but uh, hey, you know, if other people enjoyed them, that was important. So, Again, I would go ahead and anyway, say that you're being far too modest there, but I, I, I again, appreciate the, <laughs> appreciate the modesty. <laughs> well, we weren't trying to prove anything. We just wanted to try to do something different at that time. You know, it was Black Flag and a lot of kind of fast music, and we were more into, uh, like, Pill and Iggy Pop right. and some other kinds of groove sorts of things like that. And so, and some of us couldn't play it real fast. So, right. you know, we did some, you know, we could, we did the best that we could at the time. Well, I think you did pretty damn well. Uh, so, and then... You also ended up playing with David Sims when you, and if, correct me if I'm getting this story wrong, but uh, at, at some point after Scratch Acid was sort of done, you moved to Chicago with the intention of starting a band with Steve Albini, former guest of the show, and uh, David Sims moved up as well. Am I getting that correctly? Yeah, that's, that's the short version of it, yes. <laughs> okay. And you guys already had the sort of musical shorthand of having played in a band together for years. So that all kind of helps with uh, moving things forward. But what was the and, – and we were talking earlier. We were, we were playing some some songs off of uh, one of the Rape Man record. And it seems interesting that – I mean, the band's a little off-putting. Was that something that was, like, meant to be – because just getting into it, you know, band names have such an importance to, to to people. And when you call yourself, and I'm sure you got a lot of this uh, when you were around, so I apologize if we're treading old ground for you. But when you call the band Rape Man, it seems like it's it's definitely making a statement. I mean, I understand you know, the reference. It's a nuanced reference, and I like the reference. But uh, was that something that was just meant to kind of provide an imposing sort of block to the rest of the world and, and prove a statement of intent? Or was it just something where, like, hey, this is a cool thing, we should name the band this? Well, it's not it's not the name that we originally wanted. I wanted to call the band The Florists. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so so um, he didn't want that. So if you want to talk about what the band name, and, and, and believe me, that was a mistake, calling the band that. I mean, in hindsight, it was a mistake. I wish we hadn't have done that, because it was one of the factors of why the band um, was so difficult to be in, because that was a very difficult and extremely intense band to be in. It, was, it just started off with Steve and I. It was just very intense, and, and um, we, were, we wrote that it, we, were, we were on the edge the whole time. Um, both I love Steve, and he's I consider him a very close friend, and and, uh, and loved our time together. But that band was it was just uh, intense from the get go. Right, and I'm it sure was doomed, it was doomed to fail, basically. Interesting, because yeah, because wow, that's you. So you knew that kind of go interesting. So and uh, with the name, it kind of seems like uh, you know that would sort of follow you around a little bit, like a hair shirt or something. That's the first thing everyone's going to talk about. And to me, it's it's maybe the least interesting thing about that band. Uh, but I think there's a certain allure to a band that isn't around for a really long time too. That uh, you know, that there's a mystery to it that that uh, you can kind of fill in the blanks with with, with whatever you want and be like, oh, what would have happened if they would have recorded another record and you know, this, that, and the other. And, and I think that's certainly interesting for people. It's interesting for me. 
Uh, because uh, the other, because there's that EP where there's like some, some live stuff, and like some of those songs are. Uh, I mean, there's a song like you mentioned Bonham, or why well, I mentioned Bonham? You mentioned Led Zeppelin. Uh, I think it's Hated Chinese is the one I'm thinking of. There's almost a there's a thing you do on the bass drum on there. I'm pretty sure. And I'm not a drummer, so correct me if I'm wrong. That I don't think I've ever heard that before, and I, I was like, wow, that's really neat. It's sort of like. Like when you first hear like certain songs that have such iconic drum parts, like you can't often. I find that like with really interesting drummers, I, I swear to you, I'm getting to a question eventually. But uh, with certain drummers, there's uh, memorable drum parts that are as memorable as the melody or the lyric of a song. And for me, that drum part is memorable. It's something that I think of, the kind of thing that uh, you know comes out of nowhere and be like, oh yeah, that that part. And I, like, how? Where does that even come from? Were you were you guys just all sitting there in a room, like pushing each other to to do different things? Did you have some grandmaster plan that just was, as you mentioned, doomed to fail? Like, what? If you could give me some context on that and that rambling, directionless question, that would be wonderful, Ray. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, um, when I moved up to Chicago to work with Steve, we didn't have a bass player at the time, and Steve had a job. He had a full-time job. And he said, yeah, I'll be in a band with you. So I moved up there, and he didn't really have time to be in a band was the thing. Mm, he yeah. wanted to sort of like, hey, when he came off of work, maybe on the weekends play, and when it comes to music, I'm kind of a workaholic. Anyway, so basically, a lot of those songs were written with me spending eight hours a day down in Steve's basement playing the drums. And wow. coming up with the drum part and going and, and just going, hey, I've got this drum part. Can you come and play a guitar part to it, please? And uh, and so a lot of the songs were at least the first the first songs. Like some of the songs on Bud, I think, were written that way. And Trouser Minnow, Hated Chinese, Marmoset, those were written around some drum parts. And then and when David yeah, uh, when Dave Sims came down to join the band we started actually to get to play a little bit more and then some of the other songs and Steve became more of an instigator in starting a song idea but at first it was pretty much at the time I felt like I was in a band by myself because I would sit down there and write these drum parts and then he would come down and you know put a guitar part to it and they sure. were like well what are you going to do for the baby well I don't know so Interesting. Like that, you know, so almost so started almost like a like a workshop or or just like built like building building from the ground up based on the on the drums then huh? Well, it was a three piece. You know, three pieces. It's not it's not really any kind of big science deal about how songs are written. That way, somebody comes up with the riff, and at the time, I was mostly coming up with the riffs. And you know, I, I love Steve, and uh, I think he's a great entertainer i wouldn't call him the greatest mu- musician in the world and and not the greatest guitar player and um but he does what he does really well right and uh and and that's why you know he he could come up with guitar parts to my weird drum parts and make it work and it would fit and so i don't you know if anybody liked it great but that's how those most of those songs were kind of written around in that process. 
So you, you kind of alluded to the the band being somewhat tumultuous. What what do you think contributed to that? Was it just where everybody was at at the time, or was it a certain mindset? Because again, and I can't emphasize this enough for someone that didn't have the context of ever having seen that band play, or you know, really having any way of knowing about it. It just seems like a big mystery, you know, the forest, <laughs> if you will. And I, I I'm I'm curious as to. Like what? What was what was it? What was the deal with that band? Like what caused that band to stop? Was it just too much? Or, um, well, I blame myself. I I, I had I had a whole lot to do with that. Um, some, uh, you know, that, that band was it was very intense and uh, and it was really hard to be to, to tour under those circumstances. I wrote when I went to write drum parts for that song. I I told myself I'm going to write the hardest fucking drum part I can write. <laughs> I'm going to play the hardest thing that I can possibly play, and I could get a song off. And then when I realized that I was on tour, I was like, Oh my god, I have to play a full set of every single song being the hardest drum part. I can <laughs> play. What have I done? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was very so. You know, a lot of it's my fault because. I had to stay in really good physical condition, and it was super intense, and my own ego about my own playing ability versus Steve's ego, and Steve getting all the credit for the band, and I was jealous to a certain degree, and um, because in my opinion, I had put in as much work, if not more, right. to the band than he did, but which was complete bullshit. You know, he works the way he does, and I work the way I do, and I... So a lot of it was just, you know, being on tour was just difficult and an intense amount of work. And, and I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself, as I used to always. And, uh, and you know, and just egos and kind of stuff getting in the way. The name didn't help. Right, right. Again, a bit of a hair shirt, I'm sure. It was just a burnout. I mean, you go and you just, you know, you write and the most intense music that you can personally and you do that you know it's just going to burn out really quick and and uh for me it did it, it really did i it's a shame because i thought we had the potential to do some stuff but yeah got in the way you know and so hey man it's what it is right <laughs> exactly and, and and certainly by you know it's it's easy for people to opine on things that uh, you know no longer are, and, and talk about like what could have been. But I mean, let's let's be frank. You've maintained a pretty excellent uh, career in recording interesting music and, and doing interesting things uh, I, for a long time. You know, th- there's that uh, the Digits EP that you were on, which came as a surprise to me because you know, you're talking you're talking about playing. We were talking about playing fast and in punk rock earlier, and I, I love the Digits for what they do. And you know, I think Rick Sims is a amazing guitar player and songwriter. But I never expected to hear you on a Digits record. No, <laughs> no disintended at all. I love that. Uh, but how, like, how did that come to be? Like, what what was what was that all about? Oh, um, they. I was still in. I think I was still in uh, in Chicago at the time. I, I don't remember exactly what year that was, but they, um, I'd always loved them, and we were friends and hung out all the time over at Steve's, and I really admired that band. Of course, you know, who doesn't, but they're, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm, I'm going to say, uh, 
Greg or Brad, I can't remember Doug's brother's name. Um, and he, he left. He was done. And so they right. just asked me to come and play. And, of course, I, you know, any kind of a challenge in playing something new, I was always up for. So I was like, hey, I love them. I hope I can do them justice. And Sure. It's, it's, it wasn't, yeah. wouldn't be exactly the first thing you would think of, but that kind of is maybe what makes it a little bit interesting or fun, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was... Uh, it was fun. I had, that was a great session. I really had it. I don't think it's their best stuff by far, but uh, I had fun doing it, and I think it worked with them, and they were happy with what I played. So, no, that, That's really awesome. And then that kind of, to, to a certain degree, that set a little bit of a uh, of a uh, trend because you ended up doing a, quite a bit amount of uh, session work. Uh, like I, We were playing, before you came in, I was playing the... Helios Creed record that you play drums on, which is great, and that's something where uh, you know that guy is such an iconic and interesting guitar player that again has like you know certain things that he does that are you maybe wouldn't say are like traditionally amazing guitar playing, but like what he does is so unique and interesting that it's it's very cool to hear uh, you doing your thing behind it, and I think it actually it makes it to me that it makes that record to, to overuse a pretty terrible term pop a little more in the discography uh, more than anything else than maybe those early chrome records so like how, did he just did he call you up like how did that come to pass do you guys know each other do you hang well um that wasn't a studio record i we actually had a band together and um uh i had gone up to seattle uh, somebody had told me that um friend that called me and said Nirvana was looking for a drummer and at the time I didn't know anything about Nirvana and it was a good friend of mine said yeah they're looking for a drummer they're a really good band I was like who I didn't (laughs) and so I'd gone up to Seattle and hung out with this guy from this band uh he was in Skin Yard and I wasn't really a big fan of the band and um at the time uh because Kurt was a Kurt and Chris they were big Scratch Acid fans, and they were interested in having me come sure. and play with the band. And they had been trying to get in touch with me. And, and so I was up in Seattle looking around, and this guy, Daniel House, wanted to play in a band with me, and I didn't want to, and he got mad about that. And, um, <laughs> so he spread some rumors about about me, spread some rumors about that um, I was a... a bad drug addict and all of this stuff which was complete bullshit and they got back to Kurt and Chris and so anyway long story short I didn't find anything to do in Seattle so I thought well I was all scratch ass the guys who were always big Chrome fans and I had heard that he might be available to play and right. I know how crazy he was I, I love I love Helios but he's just crazy and uh, yeah <laughs> He marches was, to, his, to the beat of his own drummer band. to say, <laughs> "Yeah, that was a difficult band to be in. That was that was more than <laughs> more than I bargained for." I'm sorry to hear that. So we and, we and you blasted past something that I'm just I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have to go back to. You mentioned so, I, and I totally forgot the connection that uh, you know the Nirvana guys were were big Scratch Acid fans. So did you ever end up actually playing with those guys? If they, I mean, they were actively trying to recruit. I assume this is after Chad Channing. Uh, left the left the group and before they got Mr. Grohl, but did you ever actually play with them? Did that ever manifest? Um, you know what? I never did meet them until um, it was uh, 
it was during Nirvana, and uh, and Dave was already in the band. Ah, gotcha. Dave and they played, and Nevermind was already out, and uh, and there was problems with Nirvana, and I think uh, Kurt wasn't available very much at those in, in, in those last uh, those last months. And Dave was trying to put together the Foo Fighters, which didn't it didn't have a name. He just wanted to start a band, and he asked me to come and play with him. And so I went over to their the Nirvana studio and just kind of jammed with Dave. And he was a he was horrible guitar. He could sing great, but he was just a horrible guitar player. And he had strong ideas, and he was, a, he was a nice guy. He was he was very kind to me. But you know, at the time, you know, I walked in, and you know, Dave was was God, you know, oh, Dave, it's harder than anybody, Dave's the greatest drummer in the world, right, right, this, and he, I don't think he had a big head about it, but anyway, so I sat down and played, and, and we just kind of jammed, and Chris came over, and we played, and um, obviously, it, it didn't work out, he didn't, he ended up getting somebody else, or, or whatever, I don't know what the situation, I didn't get in that band, obviously, but that was right. my first time to actually meet Chris, I'd never met, and never did ever meet Kurt. So I'm at a bar one night when I was playing with some, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but we were in Seattle playing, he was there. I don't remember who, it might have been Tad or something, I don't remember, but I said hey, and I think he didn't know who I was. Oh, man. That's, that's, a, that's there's there's so much to unpack in that story, and... Uh... It's, I, I'm loving it. That's that's awesome. I had no idea about any of that. And I'm going to go ahead and say that the Foo Fighters probably would have been a remarkably different band with uh, Ray Washam on drums than uh, the the dude that. Well, I, I think I think a lot of the Nirvana would have been. You know, things happen for a reason, and I think Dave Grohl was perfect for that band. And I and it, and it would have been a lot different if I was in that. And. Um, Kind of in hindsight, I thank God that I wasn't in this band. Right, right. It would have been exactly right, and uh, you know, but that does bring up an interesting, interesting point because I mean, they were such a successful band. Uh, you know, I know that you've been a guy that for a while because you're back in in Texas now, correctly? If I'm I wrong, yeah, I'm in Austin. Okay, and uh, but you lived yeah. in Los Angeles for a bit, right? I did. I, I, we, I went out there for three years. And uh, presumably, uh, for you know, to kind of that, if you're gonna if you're gonna play mu- music and do it as a profession, that's a so, something of a great place to be because there's just so many opportunities. But then also, as someone that has a very distinct and unique style, um, you know, did, did you find that that worked for you, or was that like working against you because they want someone that just sounds like something that's already popular and known? Oh, that was a horrible experience. Well, I, I went. I mean, the experience of being out in California was great, but going out there and trying to be a drummer or finding a band or making a career was just horrible. That 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 city is appalling. <laughs> um, it's it was just uh, it was you, you know everything has to fit into a little form and a formula, and uh, you know I I did a few sessions out there and, and tried to start a band with some. Some friends from Paul Barker from Ministry and another good friend. Oh wow! And uh, we just—I had a band on the side and tried to do some other things. And it was just man, this, that town is just—you know—personalities just don't get along. And I'm from Texas, and you know, my personality 
with the whole like I want to be famous and right, all right. kind of shit. Never, you know, I was never in music or any art for any for any fame or money. I never have been. It's never been the goal of mine at all. It was always for the art. So I didn't get along with that city, and you know, and people, you know, and of course nobody ever heard of me, which makes it really difficult. Right. So. right. You're not you're not the hometown hero there because you know you're in a in a city that's like a loose aggregate of many cities put together where everyone is a shameless careerist and you know <laughs> that that's got to be a pretty toxic environment to to be in if you're trying to you know do something. Wow. Uh, so do you have any interesting? I guess, you know, since we're, we're, we're moving straight into the trash talk section. And uh, believe me, as this show broadcasts out of Northern California from the Bay Area, and the, the Northern California-Southern California rivalry is uh, alive and well. So we always enjoy ragging on L.A. quite justifiably for its ridiculousness. But do you have, <laughs> do you have any uh, interesting stories about, you know, playing with, you know, things that are very, very much clearly not a fit? Like, do you have any... <laughs> I guess any any wild guitar center <laughs> type band stories of of people. I mean, it, was it more sad? Or was it funny? Like I don't know anything about that experience. So, well, it's it's not very interesting. I mean, I, I went out there to try to play and, and you know and try to help support my uh, my wife and stuff like that. And uh, she, my wife, got pregnant while she was out there. I don't. No, it wasn't with me, but she had pregnant by somebody. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, I, it wasn't very exciting. Actually, it was kind of a letdown. And, you know, I, I did a couple of little recording sessions with some little pop girls and had the producer come in, the guy with the Coke, and he's like, drives up in the fucking Lamborghini. And, you know, I'm just like, God almighty. I get out there and I play the drums. And, you know, and they're like, the guy's like, wow, fuck who the fuck are you? And I'm, you know, and then you never hear from them again. And it's just, it was just weird and gross, man. Right. Best time I had was playing with my friends in like a little sweaty garage because that's where I came from. And right. Yeah, and you can you do know, that. You so, can do that. You don't have to be in Los Angeles to do that at all. No, you sure don't. And uh, I mean, uh, my son was born out there, so something wonderful happened from that whole situation. But man, that that I just. I don't mix in that town at all. It's just right. fucked up. And, and didn't didn't you play with the Phantom Planet guys for uh, for a little bit? Did I hear about? Oh, is that rumor? Uh, oh my god! How did you know that? Uh, Jesus yeah, that's some oh, band. Uh, I'm sorry, Ray. I'm sorry. I am so sorry that you know about that and you brought that up. Uh, that that had to be the absolute worst time in my entire life. <laughs> the, the most absolute horrible, most horrible memories, horrible experience of playing with them. And, and uh, I, I, I thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just seems like if, if, if you were to sort of uh, write out a, a conflict of different types of people, I could not think of a more disparate <laughs> group of of, of well, uh, contrast. I, I'll tell you a quick. Uh, I'll try to make a quick history about that. Um, those kids are all from famous. Most of them in that band were all famous family guys. Like, ah, uh, Jason gotcha. Schwartz's dad. I mean, his uh, 
uncle is, uh, uh, well, Nicholas Cage and Francis Ford Coppola. And oh, right, right, anyway, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's like Hollywood royalty. So his mom, who's the lady that was in, uh, uh, in Rocky, I can't remember her name anyway. Um, anyway, they were, those guys were all starting a band and, and, um, a friend that was in ministry, he was on the ministry crew, had moved out to LA and, uh, and one of the parents asked my friend to manage them. So he was managing them and Jason got sick and had to go to some, uh, uh, Hodgkin's disease treatment, and oh, wow. he called me and asked me to. He asked me to come in and fill in for the band, and was paying me way too much money to do it. And they had just gotten signed to Geffen and all this, and I was like, oh, and these guys are like straight out of high school. So they haven't really the lived. I had developed. Oh, sorry. Please yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and at the time, I had developed some kind of bad habits of being in with ministry, and anyway, so I went out there to play. And these kids in high school, you know, they had a, they had a little bit of talent, but they had these gigantic attitudes and these huge heads and this record that I thought and just like these pop songs that I was just not into at all. And I, and I was out there doing it for the money. Right. And that's the only time I've ever done anything for money. And I was just miserable doing it. And, um, you know, I was out there for, I think, four months or something like that and just thought I was going to slip my wrist. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing. That's terrible, but... Oh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, no, this is, Holly, this is Hollywood, and this is the Hollywood music scene. I went to, when I first got into town, that their record had just come out. It was on Def and all this big smoke about it. Yeah. So I go to this party... And I'm standing around, and there's all these heads of Geffen, and I don't remember who it was. It wasn't, uh, what's his name, but I'm standing there in the party, and just kind of like drinking a soda or something, the band, we're all schmoozing, and there's, you know, it's just gross. And one of the guys from the record label comes up and said to me, is this, is this band any good? And I'm like, what? Because they're on your fucking label, you just signed them. Like, yeah, I know, but do you think that they're any good? You know, these guys, I'm like, and it just kind of summed it up, you know, just it's right. all hype and no. I was just like, what the hell am I doing? Anyway, man. Wow. <laughs> that was brutal. Uh, I was wow. supposed to go on tour with them. I was supposed to go on tour, and they didn't have a tour. What they were doing is they were promoting the record. And they had been, so they were going around to play like. Like we played in a Best Buy next to the refrigerator <laughs> section. <laughs> So they were playing like their guitars and singing the pop songs. I had a little snare drum and I was playing the brushes over by, oh. you know, over by the refrigerators and washers. Right, and right. Like a, uh, Barnes, and then the Barnes and Noble over by the kids' books and oh. the children's section. I'm like, and I had just come from ministry, you know, and it was like, man, you want to talk about a smashing of two worlds? Dude. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. So I learned a little bit big lesson about, you know, don't don't do don't do music for money. It doesn't work. Right, right. Wow, holy that that is that's quite a mind picture there. I'm, I'm, it's it's hard it's hard to even fathom. I mean, and did you find that like, and what I would envision would be like you know there's like the one guy that you know like has has all has all your records like oh we watched them playing with this new band. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go check it out. They're playing at Best Buy, and then it's like oh, these guys. 
<laughs> well, I got to see Ray Watson play with some brushes. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you and you mentioned, you know, uh, playing with Paul and playing with the ministry. That's something that, uh, y- you know, I, I just actually saw the uh, I, I, the documentary, the one you, you narrate this as well as, obviously, you're in it because you, you played in the band. Uh, interesting character study. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that, because there's, there's certainly a time in my life that I uh, listened to ministry music and you know was like, oh, this is great, this is aggressive, this is awesome. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of the catalog, uh, to be honest, but I think they have, uh, they certainly have their their aesthetic and, and their shtick, but it seems like that, from watching the documentary, that doesn't seem like an easy band to be in. No, it wasn't. It was not. It wasn't. Um, I learned a lot from being in that band. A lot of it good and a lot of it bad. I, I, I there's lots of experiences in that, and and some things that I learned that are really good. I still, you know, there I carried those on to the rest of my music career and stuff like that. You know about um, professionalism within just the music and being right. extremely professional on stage. I mean, regardless of what Al was doing or whatever, you know, he could do whatever he wants, but the band had to be fucking perfect. Right, you know? right. And I was not a fan of that music either. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was asked to be in the band, I did everything I could to avoid doing it. <laughs> you know, there was no way. Anything to do with that, and I got talked into it by a woman, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and, and, and had no plans of doing it. I mean, I just really, you know, I loved Big Black. Yeah, yeah, of course. Me, they were kind of a, like a Big Black kind of a rip-off band. And so, you know, and when I was in, you know, back in the early 80s, you know, ministry was a joke. Yeah, they sounded more like Depeche Mode than uh, than Big Black. Yeah, so they were a joke, and y'all, everybody made laugh, you know, laugh at them. But I have to say that when I got into the band and started learning the material and had to play it, I developed an appreciation for it. Yeah, because I mean, there are, there is something there to be to be sure, especially on like on the better material. But uh, definitely, the the sort of more B and C list material is just kind of a bummer uh, to me. But it's interesting because it's it's they so embodied an aesthetic. There's almost like a glorification of excess, uh, you know, largely. Through Al, and I'm I'm looking at this just through the eyes of you know a music fan and someone on the outside. That it, it somewhat was distasteful to me that, like, I don't think of music as an avenue for doing drugs and you know living a life of excess. For me, the, the music is a reward in and of itself, and that's you know why you do it. And not everybody comes from that same mindset, though. So it, it's right. it, it, it that movie was fascinating to me because I don't. I've never been a part of that world. I'm probably never going to be a part of that world. But I kind of feel, and, you know, I, I felt a certain affinity for you being in there that you were on this, you're basically on this crazy circus sideshow, you know, going going down the road. And it seemed like there were parts of it that were really awesome and parts of it that maybe were a complete and total bummer. And uh, well, hard to deal with. Yeah. It wasn't an easy band to be in. Um I, you know, when we did sets, uh, there was no stopping in between songs, so you had to get up and you had to play 70 minutes straight 
street series was extremely physical. So, you know, I didn't have the luxury. I mean, I'm a musician, and I grew up with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, so I like to play and practice, but I also like to have fun, too. Sure, sure. That caught up with but, So, you know, and being on tour, um, that, that was hard to be able to get up on stage and be, you know, because I would lose 10 pounds. After playing a set, you know, right. that's hard, you know, I, I don't, I'm small anyway, so you'd get up in, and, uh, and there's no stopping, and this, it, it was extremely physical. I have pictures of my hands just completely covered in blisters, and there was a, at a, a time that they were so blistered, that I had to actually tape the drumsticks to my hands for like a couple of weeks. Wow. Sets, and it was brutal, man. It was brutal, and just kind of. And the mood swings, and the, it, it was. Uh, but the good thing is, is that I learned an appreciation for um, a different style of music, and it's good to be open-minded with music, and to and to, and to not go, well, that's shit. Right, right. You know, unless you've actually been involved with it, because that was my attitude. All oh, that's shit, and that's crap. But when I actually got into it, and and, and was a part of it and saw the way that these guys and how hard the guitar players worked at it. Um, I mean, there was a lot, obviously there was a lot of play and, and, and messing around and getting in trouble and stuff like that, but, you know, the guitar players, when we were on tour, it was a completely different world than recording. Just two separate worlds, and recording was a nightmare. And playing live was an adventure and challenging and, uh, you know, you have to play, I, you know, every song is on a click track, and you have to play, right. and you have to be fucking perfect. And, and everybody, you know, it was like, I learned about serious perfection and playing with a click track and being, you know, super precise for 70 minutes and not making any mistakes and the professionalism that I was not aware of before I got in that band. And I, you know, and that was an important part of my playing. It's like, and, you know, when I came off and did some other bands after that, I was like, man, you don't fuck around. You, you know, people that fucked up on stage upset me. <laughs> right, right, okay. And, you know, that makes sense, too, because, I mean, especially with ministry, those those songs, you know, the beats per minute are you know, so fast and just brutal and unrelenting that it doesn't seem like there's much room to even breathe, <laughs> let alone do anything, yeah. uh, you know, fuck up or anything. Yeah, there's a certain, like, uh, repetition that's uh, overly monotonous that I, that I didn't really like, but... You know, I learned a lot. That was an experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything, um, good, the good and the bad. And uh, definitely, definitely hard. And I met a lot of really cool people, you know, um, and know a lot of really good people because of being in that band. And so there's that. Well, and it's, it's also interesting because, I mean, to me, it didn't feel like that movie was very... Uh, it didn't feel like it was it was trying to necessarily serve a narrative function of, of of telling like what it's like it just kind of showed these you know moments in time uh throughout the the course of this this time period with this band that is something that it, it seemed honest to me in a way that you know if you're gonna get and i guess to, to be clear i haven't seen that whatever that that whatever there's some rolling stones documentary that's uh out more recently that uh scorsese one or something but you know, it never shows, you know, Keith doing drugs on camera or anything along those. I mean, I guess there's that older one that, that does. But it, it seemed interesting to me that you don't see a lot of, 
you don't see a lot of that side of things put out into the world and it it i mean i guess on the same on one hand i was ex- i was stoked for you but i also felt like bad that you had to deal with like a lot of like it just seemed it seemed brutal for i mean for a drummer it just seemed like it would be you know alternately as you're mentioning like you learned so much from it but it seemed like yeah physically exhausting you mentioned like like being your hands being so messed up you had to tape drumsticks to your hands that's insane that's like something you, like what happened in a cartoon but i'm sure it didn't seem very funny at the time uh no it didn't and it and you know and when you're dealing uh with uh, with someone that's in that kind of condition you have to deal with a lot of mood swings and craziness and it yeah and that part of it was very, very difficult because every day at that time, um, Al thought somebody was trying to kill him. Right. He was completely obsessed with somebody trying to kill him. And it was, I don't know if it was some kind of a drama game, but anyway, it was really difficult to deal with. And he was just off the wall and all over the place with some ideas. And I remember we had played once, you know, all of those songs are all click track. They're all... You know, everybody plays everything, but everybody is playing to me. I have a click track, and I am playing to a click track, and I have to be a machine so that everybody else, so that the guy, because all of the sequences and everything are all played by hand. I mean, there actually, there was no tape. Every fucking thing is played. I mean, he might be triggering something, but he has to be spot on with his timing. Right, so He's right. got a keyboard of all these samples and sampling. And everybody, and all guitar players. I mean, there was no tape. We, what you heard was, was being played. So everything was on a click track. And after one show, um, something had happened. I don't remember. Um, Al got really frustrated. He came off the stage and he ran over to me and put his hands around my neck and started choking me and going, "If you ever play those fucking songs that fast again, I'm going to kill you." Wow. You know, and of course, I had just come off a of stage, and I was totally pumped, and I could have just killed the guy right there. But I just, like, I, go, I said, you fucking idiot, they're on a click track. They're the same fucking tempo every time. And he was like, what? Fuck you. And I like, walked off. And, you know, so I had to deal with, with you know, insanities like that, and, you know. And so, yeah, lots of lots of bad and uncomfortable and lots of struggles, but but. But good. There's always a silver lining, right? Sure, absolutely. And uh, wow, geez, that's that's blowing my mind right now. Right, that was great for my drumming. I mean, that was I I learned a whole lot, and you know, I had played in uh, you know a a big house was like a thousand people. You know, that some of the big boy stuff that we had gone out to California and played, and some of the big skate skate punk shows. You know, that was about as big as the crowd. So I went from that kind of a thing, and mainly just clubs or 150 people was a was a massive crowd, you know. I sure, mean, yeah. Brass has a punch show, and like the first show I did was in front of a 60,000 fest crowd <laughs> festival in Adelaide, Australia. So I was just like, I was in fucking shock wow. when I went on stage, and like, like, oh my god, you know, I'm a, I was like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Oh, yeah, it's certainly not the world that, that you came from. Yeah, it's, it's a. It's no, it was a completely, yeah, completely different world, and I managed to adapt best I could. So. Well, and it, it's interesting too. I, I thought it was cool in that documentary how you narrated it as well because I didn't and I didn't really realize at the time but because uh, you do have a vested interest in film you, you made a, a movie earlier this year if I remember right uh, Sunday Drive I think is what it, what's called. 
I did. I did. I, I did make a. I, I have an interest in film. I always have. So yeah, I made the film. But I, I didn't make that film. I had any. I had nothing to do with that documentary. And uh, and actually, I didn't want to narrate it. I, I said I, I can't narrate and say your words and then be a person in it too, and then tell my story. You know, I mean, who's yeah. going to be able to? That's a lot of hats to, to differentiate wear. Differentiate your words from my words. You right. Know, it, was really, it was a weird position to be in. So. Well, I think it it, it worked well in that documentary just because it, it it gave a little bit of context. You know, because so it's one thing if if you're watching it. Um, and I'm like, you know, I, I keep when I watch something, I actively watch it. Like, it's not just something on in the background. Uh, but I think that kind of thing definitely helps to kind of tell the story. If you just have like a little bit of things here and there that, that I mean, you know, it, it's an ethos for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm interested in and in, in full disclosure, I, I have not seen this movie. But I'm I, when I heard it, I was like, oh. Scratch ass a dude is making a movie. I'm like, oh really? That sounds awesome. And I I don't know why, but I immediately assumed it would be awesome. So I'm I'm just gonna assume it's awesome, and I can't wait to see it when I finally get to see it. Uh, but what what led you to to be like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a film. Like let's let's do that. Oh, I don't know. Uh, a moment of insanity, I guess. Um, I you know I. I've always been interested. I, you know, when I was a little boy, I was either going to be a drummer or a stuntman or a makeup man or something. I, you know, it was music and film, and, right? You know, in movies, stuff like that. So, and I chose the music path. And then when that's kind of gone, I was like, well, I need to do something creative. And I've always had an interest in film. And so, you know, one day I woke up and said, hey, I know absolutely nothing about film, so I'm going to try to make one. And <laughs> I did. <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? That yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. No, and I, I, I just find I find that interesting because I mean, it, it's, I mean, I guess to a certain degree, how I end up with a radio show. It's like, hey, I don't know anything about doing a radio show. I'm going to do a radio show, and the, the results speak for themselves. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, hey, you know, we we have to do things. You have to get out there and try things, and some things work, and some things don't. But you know, if you don't don't push yourself and try then you that's not living and part and part of living is failing and i'm not saying that your show is failing or my film failed i didn't get the kind of uh reaction to it that i wanted but um i think the subject matter was over people's heads or whatever but and it's not that great of a film but you know i i had to try yeah we have to try and do things and experiment and some things work and some things don't that's you know it's about music or you know art is that way you know and uh, that's why i don't like safe right right right, right. i don't like Boring. safe art i don't like think you know safe in a little compartment so that you know that, that's just never ever worked for me and my art and my film was i was trying to do something different right so, well and, that, and that's big film, you know and that's one of the reasons why I, community in Austin. I didn't want i didn't want anybody i wanted to try to do something different and that's, I think that's laudable. And that one of the one reasons I started this show in the first place is because there was a certain kind of thing that I wanted to hear from a show that I wasn't hearing. I wanted to hear the kind of show that would have, you know, a Ray Washam on and have just like a long conversation where you're telling, you know, awesome and sometimes heartrendingly sad and sometimes hilarious and heartrendingly sad and awesome at the same time stories. And 
we're playing music that people maybe are familiar with and maybe they're not and you know interjecting it with commentary and it's not just doing like you know the back announce and then moving on to the next song like it, it, it's a specific voice that i was looking for and you know for me i don't i don't think that i you know we have our on we have our on shows and we have our off shows for sure but this is great i love the fact that we have a avenue that we can we can talk to you and we can hear all these stories and i think that's something that you know you mentioned not going for safe like there's certainly nothing safe about uh, doing that, and I think that's an interesting ethos, and that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm for. I'm for that. I think that's a great way to yeah, look at life. And I, I, I hand it to you for for doing that and taking risks. And uh, everything I've ever done, I've tried to do something different. And the only time that I tried to do something safe and for the money was the Phantom Planet thing, which is a complete failure. <laughs> right. Now, my idea, you know, my idea of success is are different, might be different. I mean, because I did sell a bunch of records, but if I have some kind of an art that I can go back and listen to, like nobody listens to the Helios Creed record that I did with them, but I, there's a song on there that I, I, I listen to it. I, I, mean, I don't to listen it. to my, myself, but I listen to this one song. I love it. You know, right, right. H played it. Incredible. Anyway, and my Euripides pants stuff, you know, those are the only things that I ever like, wow, I'm kind of proud of that. And I tried to do something different. So I hand it to people with their art that I want to step outside of the boundaries of what's safe. And, you know, I'm sure that there's so much good music out there today that kids are trying to do something different. And, and, and it's a shame that I'll never hear it, you know, because I want to hear and see art that is trying to be art to be different, you know, just trying to, you know, you're trying to make a statement about something or whatever. Yeah, I man. appreciated that. Yeah, that's, that's... I'm always, I'm always, you know, to, that's why it was hard for me to get into music from the West Coast, because so much of it sounded the same. And it's like, I don't want to play fast just because fast is the thing to do. That's why... Come on, Flipper, really? I hear you, I hear you, but I, yeah, I, I'm definitely a West Coast defender but i know i know what you're saying because there was that certain uh that, that certain time period where everything was yeah faster faster louder faster louder and there's there's certainly a time and a place for that but i think to, to me that's one of the reasons why i got into bands like flipper and and the melvins because like oh this is just as intense but they're going to the opposite they're going molasses slow and there sounds like there's something wrong with the record that you're listening to because yeah. it's played at the wrong speed mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely yeah, I love, love that. Uh, there's at least one or two uh, people listening that are, are going to be furious with me, as I would be furious with myself if I didn't at least broach the top, topic of uh, you playing with the big boys, uh, because I think that's a, a band that, although I came to them very late in my musical life as far as listening to them, they were one of those things like, oh, how have I not been listening to this band for forever? And they had a very iconic you know, sort of sound that was very unique at the time. And I know that, because uh, they were a band for quite some time before you played with them, uh, correct? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, they've been together. They, uh, I was their fourth and last drummer, actually. So they had been together for a good three, four years before I came in. So, yeah, and I was a huge fan. Yeah, they're, I mean, talk about, you know, you're talking about taking risks and, like, unique voices. That was a band that just... Kind of out of the gate, I was like, "Oh, they're just these guys, are just 
doing their own thing here. This is interesting. And the only, I mean, the only thing I could say there was any, uh, for me, when I first heard them, that there's any parallel to really was the Minutemen. And it's not that they sounded like the Minutemen. It's just that with the Minutemen, you never really knew what to expect. And, you know, there certainly was an element of, like, it didn't, and it, I, I think that neither band uh, necessarily ignored the funk <laughs> to a certain degree, but they, they, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Red Hot Chili Peppers, let's be clear, but, <laughs> but it, I, I, it was interesting because, like, when I heard them, I was like, oh, of course this exists. Why did I not know about this before? And so if you knew them and you were a fan, I, I would presume before you ever played with them, did that would they just did the opportunity just present itself and they, they asked, Hey, will you do this? So like how did that how did that come to be? How did you how did you end up with the big boys, Ray Washam? How did you end up in the big boys? Well, uh, Austin was a small town and um uh I had come from Dallas, you know, and was up you know, listening to Death Row Toll and Mahogany Rush and I remember one of the very first bands that a friend of mine took me to, took us into this club, and the big boys were playing, and I just stood there with my jaw on the ground going, this is the greatest fucking thing I have ever seen yeah. in my life. They put on a really good show that night, and they were just like, and Biscuit was shaking, and they were playing all the cool songs off of Industry Standard, and I was like, this is, I've never, I was like, this, what is this? I love it. And I understand, you know, and so I ended up getting into a little band and playing Scratch Acid at that time. It just started, and I was playing out a lot, and, you know, because it wasn't very hard to, it wasn't hard at all to get a show in Austin, you know. There's a bunch of people who had little clubs, and you could play all the time. And there, one night, I was at some show, and Tim Kerr, the guitar player, came up to me and said, hey, we want you to play drums for us. And I just about shit my pants <laughs> uh, because they, those were like they were they were the gods, them and the dicks, and they they were the right. gods of the town and the punk rock scene. I mean, it was a small town, but still, you know. And in Texas, they were you know, and a lot of a lot of other places. Because when I went out on tour, I found out man, these guys are really popular. People love them, right? And uh, and so they just asked me to play, and it was it was really it had. Um, it was, it was really kind of sad because I had watched them for a good year going, I love these guys. I love coming. And so the day that I joined the band, I never got to ever see them again. And it, it, so it was ironic that I was playing with a band that I love so much, but I never got to ever enjoy them ever ah, again. Ah, I get you. So you, did, you didn't get to experience it as, as a music fan because you're, you're playing with them now. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I loved going and and listening to him play, and I, and I loved the drummer that was with that was with them before me. I loved Fred. He had this really kind of lazy backbeat kind of feel, and sure, yeah. And and I'm not like that. I play very kind of pushing and you know and faster and stuff like that, which those guys loved, and that's why they asked me to play with them. But it changed the band into something. I mean, I don't listen to anything that I recorded with him. All of my, I, I listen to the big boys all the time, but it's all of the stuff that's the earlier stuff prior yeah. to me. Gotcha. You know, so I, and I love, I still love those guys, and they're just, you know, Miss Biscuit. So I was, just, God, it was just such a great time for me playing with them. I learned so much, you know. So that's how they asked me to play, and I said yes. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome, and 
I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not you, so like I can listen to those later records, and I think those are great as well. And it's, I, I think it's, to me, and again, coming into it as someone that, you know, with years of, of listening to all different kinds of music now and, you know, being a music fan and having played in bands and toured and made records and whatnot, it was interesting to me to hear a band maintain vitality that, uh, you know, was around the early material, but kind of take an interesting uh, turn that sort of evolved into something different. And, you know, I think, I think it's great. And uh, I'm especially, like I said, and this is embarrassing because, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be you know, 36 going on 37. I started listening to the big boys last year. <laughs> like I somehow just, oh. I, I just missed them somehow. I don't know how. I just missed them. Hey, better late than never, man. So. Totally. That, that's how I look at it, too. So that's, uh, thank you for, for telling that story. Thank you for telling all of these stories. This, this has been awesome, Ray. I really appreciate you doing this. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure, Conan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And then uh, I guess, uh, you know, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, you, we, and we talked about it briefly, the Euripides Pants stuff. Uh, that's a straight-up jazz band. Almost, I would characterize like you know your version of of jazz. Like what? What's can you just? And I know we're kind of we're starting to run short on time. You've been good enough to be on the phone with us for quite some time. But can you just real quick explain Euripides Pants and what that's all about? Well, I don't consider that straight up jazz at all. Um, By comparison, but if it's between that and the digits, it's straight up jazz. But I guess yeah, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, we had horns. There was horns, and we were playing kind of swing beats. So, yeah, I mean, this is close to like a jazz lounge band. There's a bunch of that's old punk rock guys could do. But we had some, there were some extremely talented guys in that band. And the bass player in that band was the most talented, all-around, incredible musician that I've ever been with. My all-time, the guy was, is the number wow. one musician that I've ever played with. And you've you played with a lot of people, anybody. too. <laughs> so that's a pretty, that's pretty high praise. <laughs> And that guy was that guy's the best. I, I actually I just put some stuff up on YouTube from I, th- that's that was one of my Scratch Acid was fun because it was my first band, but Europe's Pants was my favorite favorite band to be in ever. I love those guys. We were doing something new, something I'd never done, and so I love that band. It's it has a very special place in my heart, and um, it's just a bunch of punk guys, rock and roll guys, whatever, trying to play jazz, and we played a bunch of covers, and on that CD that we have, um, those are all originals, but we played, like, the theme from Mod Squad, the theme from yeah, The Price yeah, of yeah. Pride, <laughs> all these other, like, wacky songs and stuff, and played them, like, to the letter, you know? I mean, as much as a five-piece band can do, you know, and so that was just a really fun band, really proud. I, I'm putting um, up on YouTube... Putting, um, because that record never was available, and Paul Leary from the Buttholes produced that record, and I think it sounds amazing. Um, I'm very proud of the way that, that record sounds, and and he produced that. And uh, so I'm putting all I, I videotaped a bunch of recording of us recording all of that stuff, and putting it up to the, the CD, syncing it up to the CD, and putting it up on YouTube. I'm just nice. mostly for me and the band members and nostalgia stuff like that but really um that that band has a very special place in my heart i love that music and so no because i checked out some of the stuff that you put up and it was interesting because i didn't really i think i'd heard the name once somewhere before but i you know didn't really know from it at all and yeah i checked that and i was like oh and and it kind of to a certain degree makes sense in context now 
uh, when you talk about you know like your sort of ethos, if you will, of of, of challenging yourself and you know trying new things and and I, like I get I get that and it's I don't know it's pretty cool. I, I look forward to seeing the other stuff that you put up. I'll, I'll be checking that out. Yeah, it's cool. it was good because you know if nobody else got it, that's okay. I mean, no labels would pick it up. Touch and Go didn't want it. Uh, you know, Corey didn't. Some other labels didn't want anything to do with it. But people came out to see us in Austin and stuff. And but like I said, I don't make music for other people. You know, if other people right. like it and want to be a part of it, that's gravy. But I did it for me. And if nobody got anything out of it, that's cool, man. You know, I just that's. It's hard to understand that music. Like, ah, that's just weird jazz and stuff like that. Not very, you know, a lot of my peers don't like it. Right. And uh, a funny thing is, is when I was out on ministry, I'll just make this real quick. The guy, the front of house guy, loved the CD. And as soon as we, and that was the music he played, as soon as ministry finished our set. <laughs> nice. So that's awesome. I dropped out of Euripides' pants to go and be in ministry, which is a, it was heartbreaking for me to do. Oh wow! So okay. every time we would finish, as soon as we would finish the set on stage of ministry, he would blast that CD. You know, this one song that he really liked. He would blast it. It would just make me homesick and shit, man. And you know, because you're having a bad night or a bad right, day right. or whatever, the week's been shitty, and then like you hear your band that you love at home, and you're like, oh my god! And he played it every fucking night after <laughs> played shows. And I'm sure it wasn't to torment you. I'm sure it's because he just liked it. But yeah, that's got to be a, a bit of a drag. I'm well, sure. He, would, he knew that it was going to clear out the crowd. You know, as soon as they heard that come on, he knew that it was going to, like, push the door. I mean, it had its purpose, you know. It wasn't because he loved the song. It was because he was like, this will get people out of here. <laughs> you know, he appreciated the production and the sound quality, too. So, anyway, but he knew it made people leave. Well, uh, I appreciate hearing about that. Ray, I uh, appreciate all, all your stories. Thank you again so much for coming on Protonic Reversal. We we love having you. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I'm so I'm much. I'm eager to to see what whatever you do next. You know, don't be don't be a stranger to the show. Love, I'd love to have you come back. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on. It's been a pleasure. I know not very many people even know who I am. So you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Conan. I appreciate it very much. All right, Ray. Take care. All right, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Holy crap. There he is. Mr. Ray Washam. He's such a nice guy. And there goes a motorcycle right on cue to show the level of professionalism for this show. What a great dude. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, let's, um, let's hear a song. Wow. That was rad. Mm-hmm.
There they go. That's Dope Body. Some nonsense at the end, too. Uh, that's Dope Body with, uh, what was that called? Repo Benna? Man. Repo Man. That was good. Just came out I on Tuesday. It. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that's a band from the East Coast, Baltimore, I guess. Is what you were saying? I, I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah. Drag City Records. It's a Chicago label. Um, yeah, cool. I'll hopefully, uh, we'll have to hear some more of them. There's some kind of Room Runner connection. That's cool. Uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Great washing, man. Yeah, that was cool. I was, it was, I didn't say anything to him because I felt like a little intimidated. He's got such crazy stories. Yeah, it's kind of just cool to hear him. He's like talk, kind of <laughs> I guess. like you know a punk rock foundation. Yeah, absolutely. What a what a what a great guy, a great drummer. Um, Very humble. Yeah. I, I wish uh, there was like a catch-all website for him. I don't think there is, <laughs> but yeah, Google the Google the Ray Washam. Gosh, that kind of flew by for me. Um, yeah. This has been Proton Controversial. Thank you for listening. This happens every week, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Pacific, only on Radio Valencia, RadioValencia.fm, RadioNeutron.com for all the podcasts. Listen to that. For the love of fuck, upgrade us on, on iTunes. We have we, we don't have five ratings yet. It surprises me. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Okay, have, I can help with this. We have we have downloads in the thousands and. They can bring themselves to rate it. I'm not even saying rate it five stars. Just <laughs> signing off. Signing off, indeed. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. The song here is End of Radio. That's the ending for Controversial Fame. Sound of my voice. I think we're going to have the blind shake coming up. Uh, cool. Week after next. That's going to be amazing. Awesome. In person. We'll have a great week. Indeed. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I want to ionize the air. This microphone turns sound into electricity. now out on Route 128 the dark and lonely I got my radio on can you hear me now can you hear me now
to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day Radio.